there are a number of things which underpin our identity as Northern Irish people. I'm sure that if we went round the congregation and those who are listening into our service today or even went to our street here on the Newton Ards Road and asked what makes you Northern Irish that we would get a variety of different answers. Some would say it's our good old Northern Irish hospitality. Others would say it's our sense of fun and ability to poke fun at one another and at ourselves. This innate ability to not take ourselves too seriously. Others would maybe point to the past, things that maybe we don't like to talk about anymore, things which are to our shame. But regardless, there are many things that make us the Northern Irish people. And I would argue that one of those things that make us Northern Irish, regardless of which side of the political or religious divide we find ourselves, is our love for a parade. Whether it's March or whether it's July, whatever, we love a parade. Many people on this road are looking forward to the return of what we call marching season. We love a parade here in Northern Ireland. I remember as a young child being coerced out of bed before the scrape of dawn on the 12th of July every year with the promise of a five pound note that I would be able to use to spend in the field if I were to join the parade. The reality is I prefer to line the streets. I preferred to watch the parade as it went by, gathered together with friends and family in a lovely, friendly atmosphere as we commemorated what had happened in the past and of victories won. In our passage today, which Carla is about to read for us, we see a parade taking place as Jesus, on the back of a colt, rides through the streets of Jerusalem and he is greeted by people on either side. Jerusalem is occupied by the Romans at this stage and the Romans knew what it was to party. They knew what it was to put on a parade. And many Romans would have looked at this parade that was going on as people were waving palm branches, as they were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They would have looked at them and went, this isn't a parade. There was a time in Roman history when Julius Caesar returned to Rome from Gaul that there was they were parading and celebration in the street for three whole days. Could you imagine that? Three whole days of celebrations in the streets. The Romans knew what it was to put on a parade. Yet today as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we celebrate and remember Jesus entering Jerusalem on the back of a colt on the back of a donkey. A remarkable parade. And a parade that would change the course of history forever. But a parade that the Romans would have turned their nose up at. So I'm gonna hand over to Carla, and Carla's gonna read our scripture to us from the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Carla. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the, the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, 
Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Have you ever had to prepare for a big event? It could have been a dance recital, a music grading, a big football match, or maybe you're in charge of organizing a big party or family gathering, or even hosting people at your house whenever we were still allowed to do such a thing. Perhaps you had a big test coming up or a final exam which you needed to revise for. Maybe the words of many teachers and parents down through the years ring in your ears whenever you think of this idea of preparation. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Whilst in many ways that's a true statement and it's accurate, I've always found it to be one that was rather negative and never really left me inspired to do anything about it. When speaking of preparation, I actually prefer this one from an American pastor many years ago and the way that he put it. He said, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. Preparation is key to pretty much everything and anything that we do. I remember as a teenager, when I had reached the age that my parents were comfortable to leave me in the house on my own for a few hours, I remember being asked on a number of different occasions by my mum to take some chicken out of the freezer so that it would defrost in time for dinner time. And to my shame, I can recount a number of different occasions whenever I forgot. And then whenever I got word that they were on their, on their way home, I would run to the freezer and I would lift out the chickens. But the consequence of that was that either dinner was delayed or that we would have to have something else at dinner time. And very often something that was not as tasty as what my mum, who is a brilliant cook, had planned for us different as what was originally planned for dinner. In my failure to prepare by lifting out the chicken breasts from the freezers, others suffered whenever it came time for dinner. In the opening verses which Carla has read for us 
from Luke chapter 19. Before the parade could take place, there needed to be preparation. Before Jesus could enter Jerusalem on the back of a colt, he needed a colt to get on the back of. So Jesus sends two of his disciples to the, into the adjacent village and tells them to go and get the colt, giving them explicit instructions as to where to find it and what to say if confronted by its owners. Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times before. But there would be something very special about this journey into Jerusalem. Why is it important that he rode in on a colt, on the back of a donkey? Why would he not have ridden on the back of a horse, like that of a conquering general or victorious king? After all, the people were beginning to believe that he was who he says he was. They were beginning to believe that he would be the one who would overthrow their oppressors, the Romans. They were beginning to believe that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah, the anointed one of God, who would bring freedom and win their victory. So why a colt and not a horse? We have much to thank Dr. Luke, the writer of this gospel for, for his attention to detail helps to paint a picture which the other gospel writers simply do not. The book of Luke was originally written to a Greco-Roman audience. This depiction of Jesus, which may well have been lost on a Jewish audience, would have been one of profound imagery for the original readers and hearers. As we said earlier, the Romans knew how to throw a party. They knew how to maximize the fanfare of a parade. But the picture which Luke paints of Jesus is one of humility rather than one of a conqueror. There had been a prophecy hundreds of years before which had spoken of these events unfolding. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, we read these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This verse clearly prophesizes what we know as the triumphal entry of Jesus, where he presented himself as the Messiah to Jerusalem and the people of Israel. Jesus, in fulfillment of this prophecy, rode this never-ridden-before colt into the city of Jerusalem. The animal, which was customary of royalty, was ridden by the Prince of Peace into the city, which would see him lay down his life as the perfect, blameless, spotless Lamb of God, only five days later. A promised Messiah, the sacrificial Lamb, the Prince of Peace, who in a week's time would rise again triumphant as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But preparation was key. 
as the disciples go and follow their master's bidding and return with a colt on which no one had previously sat, Jesus is ready for his entry into the city. I love what F.B. Meyer has to say about this detail of the cult which Dr. Luke gives, of how it's never being sat upon before serves as an illustration to us of how God requires of us undivided loyalty, and that the seat of authority in our lives is for Jesus and Jesus alone. I wonder if today you are willing to be a cult through which the plans and purposes of God become a reality in the life of our community here in East Belfast or wherever God has placed you. That's just a food for thought for us today. We're now going to move into a song of worship before we come back and unpack the rest of the story together. So Jesus rides toward the city. The multitude follow him and they begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. They cry, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory uh, glory in the highest. Matthew in his account tells of how the multitude spread their cloaks on the road and how they cut off palm branches and spread them on the road too, letting out with a loud cry, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us. This is a hopeful cry of the people, an admission that they truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one who would come just as had been prophesied and would set free the people of Israel, that he would be their saviour and they would be his people that this parade would be one which would signal the end of Roman occupation and instead would usher in a new kingdom, a new rule, a new reign. I wonder if you've ever gotten the wrong end of the stick. I wonder if someone has ever told you something and you've taken it up the wrong way. I wonder if you've ever explained something to someone and they seem to have taken it up completely wrong. The premise might have been correct, but the application, the way in which it played out, was something different entirely. And I'm sure it's not just me who has been on either side of this situation which I've just described to you. Now the thoughts which the crowd had on that day, the reason for their fanfare is Jesus enters into the city on the cult. They're not incorrect. They're not wrong. However, the way in which this would all play out would not be as they had imagined or even hoped. Jesus would indeed usher in a new kingdom. Jesus would indeed be their saviour. Jesus would indeed bring freedom and set them free from their oppression and chains. However, this would not be achieved through conquest or violence as they had imagined but rather the events which would unfold in the week that was to come would see the raging of war, not on Rome, but on the tyranny and oppression of sin. 
The people anticipated a coming Messiah who would conquer. And they were correct. But it would not pan out in the way in which they had imagined. Adam Clark, a great Wesleyan preacher of bygone years, put it so beautifully whenever he said this. This entry into Jerusalem has been termed the triumph of Christ. And it was indeed a triumph, but it was the triumph of humility over pride and worldly grandeur, of poverty over affluence, and of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace, but there was coming a day when he would depart from it as the conquering King of Kings. I wonder today what view you have of Jesus. Maybe you've been following him for many years now, and in that time you have seen him revealed as a number of different things. Even in the New Testament scriptures, we have seen him revealed in different ways. In Matthew, he is our Messiah. In Mark, he is our servant king. In Luke, he is the great physician. In John, he is the Son of God. In Acts, he is the risen Lord. In Romans, he is our righteousness. In Corinthians, he is our holiness. And in Galatians, our justification. In Ephesians, he is our perfection. And in Philippians, our provider. I've started, so I'll finish, right? In Colossians, he is our hope. And in Thessalonians, he is the coming king. In Timothy, the shepherd. In Titus, our rewarder. In Philemon, the encourager, and in Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, he is our wisdom, and in Peter, he is our inheritance. In John's letters, he is our lover, and in Jude, he is our warrior. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There is an important lesson for us today. And we need to recognize and we need to realize that as the people of God, we are found in this parade, crying out blessings and giving the glory which is due his name. However, we need to be careful not to fall into the same trap that many in the crowd fell that Palm Sunday. For many of those who were shouting, Hosanna on Sunday, were the same people who were crying, crucify him, the following Friday morning. You see, when life got hard and things didn't pan out the way they thought that they would, these people would turn their backs on him and forget the promises of God which would be fulfilled in his life, of how God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. How he would take upon himself the sins of humanity, past, present, and future, in a once-for-all sacrifice on Calvary's tree to win the victory over sin and death, which purchased the freedom of humanity. He would indeed be their saviour and bring them freedom. All they needed to do was humble themselves and accept the gift of salvation which he had bought for them with his precious blood. However, when the rubber hit the road, when things got hard, and when people came up against them, they cried out, crucify him. Recently, I've been rereading a great book by A.W. Tozer called Rut, Rot, or Revival. So let me read a portion of it to you today that I've read this past week, 
which I believe speaks not only to many in the crowd that day, but if we are open and honest, speaks of many of us who are watching this service. He says, this is what happens to many people's good intentions. They rise emotionally to an urgent message that we become a New Testament church, that we become a model church, that we have the order of the New Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we might worship, work, and witness for Christ. Emotionally, they rise to it, but they will not confirm their emotions by corresponding changes in their way of life. Church, it is so easy for us to get caught up in the fanfare and euphoria of the parades of life, when things are going as they should be, when Jesus is everything we think he should be, when life is good and the hard times where they're just a distant memory. Many of us have fallen into the trap of self-improvement and of seeing Jesus solely as a solution to all of our problems. If only I tried harder, If only I read my Bible more. If only I was able to go to church instead of watching it online. I want to tell you today, there is hope. And hope is not found in self-improvement remedies or in even trying harder. Rather, as I've told you before, hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And following him will not always be roses in the garden. Bearing his name will not always be like a parade where we sing songs and we wave our flags. That very same Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on the back of a colt is the same Jesus who five days later would go to a sinner's cross, be spat upon and mocked, and would lay down his life for the sins of the world. And he is the very same Jesus who said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We are a people called in the good times and the bad to pick up our cross and follow him. Even when things are tough and even when we're feeling rough. When we do this, we'll not only see Jesus as the solution to all of our problems, rather we'll see him as our saviour, our king, the lamb of God who laid down his life for our freedom. We'll see him for who he is, the meaning and giver of life and life abundant. We will not need self-improvement remedies for we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We will be new creation, the old being gone and the new coming. We will have within us the very same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we would go boldly in his name and in his power, sharing with a world which is lost, occupied not by Romans, but by the tyranny of sin and the terror of darkness, sharing with them the hope of freedom from sin and the one who is the light of the world and in whom there is no darkness. Church, let us not be Palm Sunday Christians, but let us be a people who count up the cost and take up our cross and follow him, knowing that he is good, even when life is not. And that the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, who entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday will return again, but not as a lamb, but as the Lion of Judah, 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who will take us to reign with him forever. As we close this time together, I'm going to hand over to John, who's going to read a passage of scripture to us from Revelation 7, 9 to 12, where palm branches are mentioned once again. Let us be a people who follow him with all that we are, in the knowledge that we shall be counted amongst this multitude, of which we are about to read from every tribe, tongue, and nation, when we take up our cross and follow him. Thank you, John. After the vision of these things I looked, and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne, before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They were shouting in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures. They all bowed down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honour, power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I get really excited whenever I read that passage. John has read to us the words of the Apostle John, who has given an insight in the book of Revelation to what heaven is going to be like. And those verses speak of a countless multitude standing before the throne from every tribe, tongue and nation, worshipping God, worshipping King Jesus, giving him the glory and honour that is due his name. And there is a real challenge for us today. It is so easy to be found amongst the Palm Sunday parade. It is so easy to be found amongst that those on that day when things were going right. But those verses in Revelation 7 have talked of a time when those who faced the great tribulation, those who suffered because they took up their cross and worshipped Jesus, it tells of the day where they stood before his throne and they worshipped him where they got their palm branches out and they worshipped the King of Kings in their robes of white. May we be found amongst the countless multitude. May we take up our cross daily and follow him. For as surely as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday as the Prince of Peace, he will return. He will return as the Lion of Judah because he was the lamb that was slain. May we go in peace today, but may we do so in the knowledge that we serve the risen Savior, and may we take up our cross and follow him. Let's sing that great hymn of old, I have decided to follow Jesus. And may this not only be words that you sing, but may this be the declaration of your heart and the prayer of your inmost being for the sake of the kingdom. Let's sing and pray together.